Swing and a line drive, left field, Ben Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the planet each week, according to PodTrack.com. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the New York Yankees. Uh, losing the series two games to uh, two games to one, finally ending that brutal 0 for 10 streak, whatever it was, by getting a win in the uh, season finale with the Yankees today. Still currently in last place in the American League East. News out of Fenway: Gyro Munoz has been placed on the DL for back issues. Christian Arroyo is day-to-day with back spasms. Alex Verdugo is day-to-day as well with hamstring tightness. Recently acquired Nick Pavetta will be the starting pitcher on Tuesday's game against the Baltimore Orioles. If you're wondering how Heath Hembree is doing with the Phillies, he has an ERA over 12 and has given up seven home runs. Brandon Workman, also not so good, 7.23 ERA since arriving in Philly. Uh, News from around the league, Justin Verlander will undergo Tommy John surgery. He is expected to return in the 2022 season, which will be his age 39 season. Reds first baseman Joey Votto has surpassed Pete Rose with the most walks in Reds franchise history with 1,000 211. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. I am joined tonight uh, from Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm certainly doing better than Heath Hembry. Oh my God. I didn't realize it was that bad over there for him. Yeah, he had, I think he had a bad game today, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, not good. Traded those guys at exactly the right time, as it turned out. Absolutely, yeah. Also joining us tonight from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? Oh, my God. Terry, Jesus, uh, Jason, I am having a blast to see that the Red Sox did not make history again. It goes back 12 games, counting the last two, I believe, of 2019. 12 straight games that the Red Sox have lost to those kids in New York. Why am I happy? Because my birthday buddy, Michael Chavis, had a couple of bombs today. 
and I didn't see Michael Hall just completely blow another game. Today was a good day. Yeah. It might be worth remembering that his name's Matt Hall, but that might not be worth remembering, actually. Um, My bad. You're totally right. I just <laughs> yeah. literally, I was so happy. Looking at the box score, I said, you know, Tanner Hawk would have been 2-0, but they're going to stick Hall in there. Yeah, correct. I, I totally botched that. Um, there, he, there's, he's going to blow it. He's going to just ruin it again on purpose. Well, in, in the less than 1% chance he actually listens to this podcast, he'd probably be happy that you botched his name because they'll be like, oh, yeah, Michael Hall. And then they'll be like, wait Matt a minute. Hall. Matt Hall. They'll be what? like, wait a minute. He's not He's not showing up on Fangraphs. And, well, actually, I think we did. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We did have a Michael Hall. No, that was Bill Hall in 2010. Bill Hall. Yeah. Bill oh, Hall was yeah. the, the utility guy. That was no, a, Matt hey. Hall, if you're listening, I really hope that you heard the last show, too. Man, <laughs> did I have a good time with you. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Well, all right. Uh, there is actually quite a bit to go over tonight, so we will head right into studs and duds charlie you are leading off tonight who is your stud for the series so my stud for the series is actually rookie tanner hauck uh he pitched six innings a one-hit ball game allowed a run which wasn't earned uh walked three batters struck out four and uh this goes in line with that joke that i had earlier i mean he threw 85 pitches over six innings which is quality um that now gives him 11 innings on the season he's allowed four hits, three runs, excuse me, sorry, he's allowed one run, uh, not earned, he's walked six batters and struck out 11. Uh, There's nothing you can possibly say that's bad about this kid, at all. Um, It's the perfect little blessing surprise that the Red Sox needed to have, and honestly, I think will be one of the most talked about parts of 2020, not the fact that we had 15 people play second or shortstop. Um, but this young man who has done spectacularly well through an incredibly small sample size, but again, very impressive outing again. Jason. Yeah, I was really impressed and I was nervous for him going into this game because even though, um, you know, he's going up against a right-handed heavy lineup, which I think suits him. It's a very powerful right-handed lineup. You know, you got guys like Luke Voigt and DJ LeMahieu in there who are going to get MVP votes uh, for this season. So he looked good. You know, he, that pitch movement going inside to right-handers is really tricky. It's it's tough for them to figure out, and he was frustrating guys with it all day long. So I still want him to add another pitch. I still want him to work on some things over the winter and heading into next year before I can say confidently that I want him starting 25 to 30 games for this team next year. But he looked good going up against a team like that. That's, you know, a World Series favorite headed towards the playoffs. And um, he just, he made them look kind of silly at times, which was great. You love to see that from a young guy. So was really impressed. I liked that he just took the ball and, you know, wasn't afraid at all and went after these guys. So very impressed. It was a fun matchup on paper and it ended up being more fun for us ultimately um you know as the game went on because we had one of our better pitching prospects against one of the Yankees better pitching prospects uh Davey Garcia and Garcia has had one extra start 
than Hauk has had, and and Garcia looked good in both of those starts for the Yankees. So I was kind of, this was almost like a bragging rights game, you know, who's got the better pitching prospects, and it was a lot of fun to see Hauk just kind of do his thing. And that pitching ninja thing, which I've only started, you know, kind of noticing, you know, in my tweets and stuff, and his mechanics, they were able to kind of turn him around so he, he's pitching lefty in this thing, but his mechanics are almost exactly like Chris Sale's. Even the the leg kick at the end of the delivery, just same thing. The only difference is Hauk, you know, doesn't quite have the velocity. He seemed to be topping out about 92 miles an hour. Sale was gassing people as recently as last season at, you know, 98 to 100 at times. And so doesn't quite have the velocity. But what I do notice is he does have some decent movement, Hauk does, on his fastball. So that's good because Sale doesn't really, there's not really a ton of movement on his. You know, he just kind of, you know, he can ramp up the velocity to kind of keep them off balance for when he does throw a slider. And, you know, a lot of his fastballs tend to, to be up and away, you know, as his out pitch. But teams did stop swinging at that, um, you know, in 2019. But, but it is kind of it is kind of weird that their <laughs> mechanics are similar and i did have one person today uh you know be like oh geez, really you know his mechanics are the same you know he he might have tommy john you know before long because we always figured sale would eventually have it you know with the herky jerkiness there but but i think with the lower velocity it might not be a given that he has it but if it does happen, it could be, you know, several years away regardless. And I hope Yankees fans are nervous, you know, going forward because this is a guy that could be in their face for quite some time. Yeah. And, you know, if they keep adding more and more of these big swinging right-handers to their lineup, then that's going to be perfect for him. So, yeah, they, they could be in trouble if, uh, if they have to see him going forward. How concerning is the lefty situation for him? I mean, can that be addressed over the winter? I mean, I it shouldn't be a long-term concern, I wouldn't think. No, I don't think it is. It's one of those things that, like, he could probably face a, a lineup that has a lot of lefties and he'd be okay. It's just that he's more susceptible given the fact that his biggest asset is that two-seamer running in towards right-handers and against lefties he'd have to figure out how to get it to run away from them or run away down because of it if it's going to go away and it goes up then he's going to be prone to a lot of oppo field power and stuff like that um and if he does sort of work harder on that changeup or split finger whatever he wants that to be that will help him too that that can be an out pitch for him against left-handers so it's not a massive concern but it's definitely something that I think right now the team is trying to protect him and they're, they're trying to have him face teams that are mostly right-handed heavy for the moment. Yeah. He's probably only got one more appearance left, one more start, um, which would probably be the Atlanta series, which would be an interesting test because they, they've got some power in that lineup. Um, yeah. 
Charlie? No, yeah, no question there. Absolutely none. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have been actually paying attention to Atlanta, but uh, their superstar has actually been struggling quite a bit until today. And he had like a coming out party again, uh, game again. Um, Ronald Acuna is uh, arguably going to be the the National League version of, of uh, MVP um, year in and year out if he can stay healthy because Christian Yelich has one of those bodies that unfortunately I feel like could break down. He Christian Yelich reminds me of the offensive version of Tim Lincecum. He's really not that big. So I feel like Acuna is going to have that type of career like trajectory. I think that Acuna is going to be top two MVP every year for the next, I don't know, decade. Yeah, I I picked him to win MVP last year. I forget who did on the... Um, Yelich, I think oh, I think it was. Yeah, he I, did. It was Yelich. It was Yelich, my bad. Yeah, two years in a row. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I like Acuna, though, anyway. But, yeah. Um, another thing that's funny, uh, Jason's pal uh, Rocco um on twitter he he dms me every now and then and i i don't i don't mind uh, admittedly i'm not great when it comes to just messaging back random people but um but he told me today that um he wanted me to make sure that i knew that davy garcia wasn't their best pitching prospect after we shelled him and I said I was aware of that because you know their best prospect is is Clark Schmidt, and uh, but then I told him I said and by the way T- uh, Tanner Houck isn't even our best pitching prospect, <laughs> and he goes, oh really? <laughs> I'm, like, uh. I'm like yeah that's uh, that's Brian Mata who could be up next year, and I mean Jay Groom as well. I mean does have upside even though he's had Tommy John and it's been a slow journey through the the minors but i mean i could see him coming up and being a upper rotation guy i mean couldn't you guys yeah absolutely yeah uh, i actually i misspoke so yelich won in 2018 it was cody bellinger last year that is my fault oh Bell for two tonight Jeez, louise bellinger won the mvp last year he most certainly did wow. bellinger had like a, a coming out party year remember that was the home run haven year yeah cody yeah bellinger went off he was phenomenal last year yeah and you know, because the running joke all year was, oh, but he was benched the first two games of the the World Series. But, um, but yeah, yeah, he did have a good year. Um, Yelich got hurt though. I remember now in September, so that that probably cost him. Uh, he did. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm trying to think. I, I guess I just about covered it on on Hauk. So Jason, go ahead. Who is your stud for the series? Uh, I went with another Red Sox pitcher who's been impressing me pretty much all season, and that's Martin Perez. He pitched on Friday, uh, which was a game that, unfortunately, Red Sox lost, but Martin Perez uh, gave them the best shot to win. Six innings, seven Ks, you know, only allowed three hits. Um, and he actually kind of reminds me, him and Hulk had a similar kind of game where they were kind of freezing Yankee hitters just with their location. You know, these are two guys who they're not the hardest throwers, but their pinpoint location was so good that Yankees just didn't know what to do with it. And Martin Perez going up against that kind of lineup with, you know, right-handers who tend to handle lefty, lefty pitchers pretty well, um, he he just completely shut them down. 
And once again, it's just proof that, you know, he was the right signing there. All you people who are still lamenting the, I, I hope the Rick Porcello thing is done. Like, I can't imagine there's any Red Sox fans left that still miss that guy. Um, you know, and it's funny because Porcello actually pitched today, probably had his best game of the season. He went seven, struck out ten guys. He still ended up with the loss, So, and he only allowed one run. And after all that, his ERA only went down to five point four six, and he's one in six on one in six on the year. So, Martin Perez was a really good signing by by Kyan Bloom. Um, I'm glad that we you know we have the ability to keep him around for next year. Um, he's he's been good. And look, at, you know, will it last over the course of like a full 162 game season? Assuming that we get that next year, maybe not, right? Because we've seen him fall apart in second halves of seasons throughout his career. But for right now, you've got to be happy with the investment because every time he goes out on the mound, you've got to feel pretty good about your your chance to win. Um, he's had very few stinkers since he's been here in Boston. So really like him. Um, I really like his approach. I like the way that he, he does attack hitters when he's feeling confident. So, yeah, I like everything about him. He he had a great start. I wish they could have won that game for him, but um, he's been really good all year. Can't really complain about him. Charlie? You know, it, it, it it's crazy because you, you look at his line and you're like, wow, three hits, six innings. You did your job. So I see that 6-5 final in 12 innings. Must have been Matt Hall who blew it. It wasn't. <laughs> uh, I was watching that game, and I remember watching uh, you know the the, the lead slowly but surely start to dwindle away and you're up four zero and i looked at my dad and i said well this has been fun and he said what are you talking about i said just keep watching this is going to go to extra innings and he said how can you say that i said have you not been paying attention this is going to be a performance of the season for martin perez and while i i'm not gonna be in that boat of saying that people should compare Martin Perez to Rick Porcello. I'm still kind of in that Martin Perez comparing his weekly performance and every other to like Josh Beckett's seasons. One start is fantastic. The following start is hide your kids, hide your wife. It's not that good. And I really wish we could get a certain like a more consistent Martin Perez because when he's on it, he is on it. Just what Jason said, 100% accurate. It is disgustingly, it's devastating that we wasted a, a, a three-hit, six-inning performance a, again. Like, this is this is terrible. A couple starts ago against Baltimore, he allowed one run on five hits in seven innings, and they lost that one for him. So he's doing much better than Rick Porcello. There's no argument there for a fraction of the cost. Uh, I'm okay to keeping him next year. I am so happy that we don't have rick porcello uh but uh it's disappointing that he he had another start squandered uh, a fantastic performance against a formidable opponent yeah and you know i i wasn't gonna bring up a lot of that until the dishonorable mentions but i guess i'll just do it now um hernandez really kind of blew that game you know by you know loading the bases and you know, two of those runs ended up coming in and, 
you know, Brazier gave up a run, then Barnes gave up a run, and I'm not going to get on any of them because Darwinson's, you know, he's had a tough season. You know, he had the COVID issue and some shoulder fatigue. So he's probably not going to be right until next year. And then Brazier's just been pitching so good. And like Jason said earlier, this is a high-powered lineup. So I'm not going to go crazy on Brazier for giving up a run. And I was less surprised that Barnes gave one up, but so be it. You know, but it was really Hernandez that, that got that loss in motion and kind of spoiled it for Perez. And Perez has been, he's had one absolute stinker where he gave up six runs. I think that was, uh, uh, I already forgot who that was. Um, oh, that was against the Nationals. And then he's had two other starts where he's given up four runs. Every start besides those three have been three runs or less. So his ERA is dipped under four. It's a 3.88, which looks good. You're going to take that every single year from a guy like him. And he's got a cheap option next year, you know, six, $6 million to, to keep him on the staff. So I'm a fan. I, I like it. I was never really a Rick Porcello fan. I thought it was great. He won a Cy Young um, one of, you know, the day that it was announced that Rick Porcello had been extended, you know, which was opening day 2015 for, for essentially five years, it was one of the worst days of my Red Sox life. <laughs> Cause I, I knew it wasn't <laughs> going to be pretty. And 20, that first season was like the worst ever. They were putting him on the DL with fake injuries. He was that bad just to get him out of there. And, you know, and then he shocked everybody with a Cy Young win. Half credit to Sandy Leone for that. But, um, but yeah, and he's just a guy who's probably going to bounce around. He'll probably play for the Orioles next year, probably the Mariners the year after that. You know, Porcello's career as a t- middle to upper rotation guy is, is over, you know. And, and I'm hoping we found something here with Perez. He had a great first three months last year. gave you gave the Twins similar results, and and then kind of fell off a cliff. So, you know, this season's not long enough to see if there would be a cliff. But but I'm happy to have him next year, and hopefully with three or four guys in front of him in that rotation. And and it was great. And he had one other game against Baltimore where he um, gave up, I think, three hits, only one run over seven innings. So it's the second time he went deep into a game. But good stuff there. And another thing I'll also point out about Perez, his presence in the dugout is is very good. You know, there's a lot of – you can tell there's a lot of positive interaction with him around. So, you know, that's a guy you want, you know, in a, in a good, you know – positive clubhouse you know a good clubhouse culture is going to have guys like him i guess is what i was going to say yeah yeah 100 percent accurate he uh he, he's you know um he's got nothing bad said about him during his uh during his time you, you don't hear one teammate saying anything bad you don't see anything negative no bad body language it's as if there could potentially be some pitchers that 
play in Boston that maybe could take a note or two or ten from somebody like that, which is good. I, I, we need to have more guys with that kind of mentality and attitude. He's happy to be here. He picked Boston. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, all right, so my stud for the series, um, it, it was a toss-up, but I'm going to go with uh, Jackie Bradley. Uh, had a had a four hit game today. Uh, drove in a run. He um, he had a hit on Friday as well, but just really good, consistent production from him in the outfield, and still looks very good at the plate. And I, you know, Al isn't going to like this, but and I think I said it in the last show. He might have earned himself a spot next year on Ugh. on the, the the roster. I I just I think there's going to be a lot of one year deals this winter, even possibly with big name guys like George Springer, for instance. I think are going to play on a one year deal to get through the uncertainty of this COVID stuff, and you know, and then maybe the following year. But that that's the the CBA year, you know, where there could be a strike, but. Um, but I, I just can't see Bradley really getting a multi-year deal. And I think with no tax penalties next year for the first time in a while, I think the Red Sox are going to spend, you know, the five to 10 million on him for that one year. And, you know, we just don't have the depth really. So, but I got to give him his due. He's, He's hitting very well. I'm just I'm pissed at this point. He didn't he didn't give us this his whole career outside of 2016. It's um it's a depressing thing to say and <laughs> it pains me to say it, but as of right now, Jackie Bradley Jr is a top 5 hitter in your everyday lineup for 2020. Um at least if you go by just like batting average because his average went up to 274 after this weekend, and uh, that's fifth best uh, out of your everyday players. So um, that's that's both a sad statement on sort of the team and just a sad statement for him. Because it's like like you just said, it's like why couldn't you've done this before? You wait until a 60 game shortened season to have one of your better offensive seasons. Um, I still don't want him back. I don't care about. <laughs> the, the, you know the lack of depth or you know i really don't I, I i don't want him back because i'm not taking the cheese he's not a 274 hitter he's on one he's having one of his good months right so if this season was a month longer he'd go back down to 208 you know the the following months so um i'm not taking the cheese on him but look he's he's been good he's he's had a strong finish to the season he hasn't uh he has not hurt you. He's he's been a contributor, and he was a big part of today's game. He you know he sort of set up uh, Michael Chavis for his two home runs. So um, he's been good offensively, defensively. You always know you're going to get a solid glove out there. So great. Um, but if they if they sign him to another deal and they bring him back here, I'm gonna I'm still going to lose my mind. <laughs> well, I think. I, I'm not cheering for it. I, I just kind of I think it's going to happen, and the reason I say that is because I I just think ownership has a soft spot for him. It's, Agreed. 
Yeah. I mean, he's consistent. He had, you know, so far through September, he's had 17 hits. Last month, 17 hits. He had three homers this, this month, had two the month before that. He's striking out 18 times in both of the last two months. Has a whopping four stolen bases, including a two spot against Tampa Bay. Uh, I just, you know, God, it. If he wasn't so good offensively, there's just no way this guy is even playing. I think on any major league baseball roster. I mean, this guy is a de- he's a defensive gem. If he was a liability, please, man, like that that 2016 season when he almost cracked 30 home runs and hit almost 270 with almost you know at 80, 86, 87 RBIs. I remember that because I drafted him the following years and. In, in, fantasy baseball and he absolutely crucified me it was terrible um i thought he was going to do better and i was mistaken badly i i, I don't know I, the fact that jason said it too i i i don't have a table that i can bang my head against hard enough <laughs> that'll like make me feel a little bit better about it but um i do like seeing him make defensive plays i will say that much he is uh you know a fans player uh, fans do like watching Jackie Bradley Jr. in the field. Um, if the rest of the team could hit, we wouldn't even be talking about Jackie Bradley right now. That's another thing. If you have your your offensive onslaught and like absolute studs in the lineup, Jackie Bradley's not being talked about because you usually have one or two duds in the lineup. It just so happens that this year we have like five or six duds in the lineup, and he's one of them that shouldn't be, unfortunately. But he's doing much better this year than he did last year. Um, as far as batting average, his strikeout numbers are down, way down. Um, on base is up, sluggage is up a little bit. I mean, what do you do if you don't have Jackie Bradley in center field? Who are you going to put there? Uh, We're stuck. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is kind of tough. I mean, Ben Intendi would have been an option had he not lost his mind. Um I think Chavis has to be on a corner, and I just I think you'd be doing the team a disservice if you tried to put Verdugo in center because Fenway has a huge right field and and Verdugo has a a cannon arm. So um, there really isn't anyone. I don't know, Jason. You're a little better with prospects. Is is Duran viable? Like, is he a potential center fielder? Yeah, Duran could work in center field. He's he's got the speed, certainly. I don't know defensively in terms of his instincts if he's quite on the same level as Jackie Bradley Jr. In fact, he probably isn't uh, at this point in his career. But he's very athletic and he's very quick. So I think he could certainly at least cover the ground out there. I don't know about his arm. I don't think he's got the arm strength to play center field. So that might be an issue. You might be looking at more of like a Jacoby Ellsbury type of model where he's got the range and he's got the speed, but he's got a noodle for an arm. Um, But he can probably do it, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that is a solution if if Bradley doesn't come back. And and you never know if Boris is going to get on his high horse and demand a three- or four-year deal and maybe find a team that will give it to him. But... I mean, he's Bradley's kind of making the case right now that, you know, maybe he could do it. And with the strikeouts being way down, though, that's that goes back to the, you know, the plate discipline I was talking about. He just looks better 
You know, he's not lost at the plate like like we've seen. And and this year he's been, you know, he's been in the stud segment more than the dud segment. He might have been in the dud segment last year more times than anyone. So it's just <laughs> another thing. But like I said, I don't really have a dog in the fight. Um, I will say if he if the Red Sox give him more than a year, then, yeah, I'd probably be pissed. But I can probably stomach one year um, if that ends up happening. Uh, some honorable mentions. Uh, Christian Vasquez, four for nine on the series. He didn't play uh, the Saturday game. Three for five on Saturday with a run batted in. Interestingly, he batted leadoff today, which is the first time it's happened since 2004. The Nesson guys were talking about this, and the only reason Veritek batted leadoff was because it was the final game of the season. He was hitting 298, and apparently Francona wanted to give him a chance to get over 300, and apparently he fell short. But, but not a bad series for Vasquez, and he was. I think he was catching. Uh, yeah, he was catching Hauk today, so got him a little deeper into the game. Uh, you know, versus the the other Hulk start. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, two for seven, but the impressive thing there for me is, uh, aside from the fact he hit a home run today, only two strikeouts, one for each game. Uh, he got, he was eight for 11 of, of his last uh, series, and eight out of 11 at-bats he struck out, which is the worst I've ever seen in a single series. So, um you know, a little bit better this this time around. And, uh, yeah, so those are... Oh, and Christian Arroyo, my bad. I leaned on on making him uh, my stud, but he only played one and a half games. He left game two with back spasms, didn't play today, but was phenomenal on Friday, uh, three for five, home run, uh, four RBIs. Just let's talk about him real quick. I mean, the upside with him is starting to look better than than certainly Chavis and and maybe better than Dahlbeck. Like I think Bloom got a steal here if he can stay healthy. Yeah. I, I remember I said it at the time when uh, when I found out that they picked him up, you know, just off waivers. Um, that's a good guy to take a flyer on. You know, he was a former high draft pick with the Rays. Um, just never quite really figured it out in the minor leagues. Um, he also bounced around a, different, a bunch of different positions. I think he started out as a third baseman. Then he got moved to first. Then they tried him all around the infield. So maybe that's what was screwing him up a little bit. But... Yeah, this is a guy that Bloom's very familiar with. He was a top prospect not too long ago um, and then just kind of lost his way and teams gave up on him, but he's still only 25 years old. So, And he he looks like he can be a complete hitter if he really puts it all together. So the ceiling certainly looks high. It's just a matter of, like you said, can he stay healthy enough and can he get consistent playing time enough to actually reach it? And if he does, then that's a huge steal. Absolutely. Uh, Charlie, any thoughts on Arroyo? Or you can touch on any of the yeah. others. I mean, here's the thing about Arroyo. Like, it was nice. 
here's the thing. So we saw him hit a home run in back-to-back games against a team he played for. So an argument could be made that maybe he knows that team. Outlier game, a three for five against New York. This is this is one of many players that unfortunately um, doesn't have like crazy, crazy numbers. What were the expectations? I think what we have is what we expected. We didn't know what we were going to get. But we've had how many players come to play for the Red Sox this year that have had fire starts. Like our ooze when he first started, did really, really well. Now he's batting, what, like 214, 215? Like he's just, he hasn't been able to put it together. When he first joined, I mean, he had a, a three-homer game, two-homer game, or, sorry, a three-hit game, a couple of two-hit games in a row, and he was hitting 348. And then this month he's 0 for 13. So, I mean, I think it's like, is it like a flash in the pan of talent? No, you don't get drafted in the first round by accident. So I hope that this is somebody that, you know, just what Jason said, can put it together because he has bounced around. And like Jason said, I 100% agree. It's somebody that has bounced around and a lot of teams gave up on him. It would be nice to see the Red Sox give him a proper chance. He has played multiple positions. So you're kind of getting that Swiss Army knife, Brock Holt ability. Um, We'll see what happens with him. But, I mean, we're seeing these players that come up to Boston have phenomenal starts. Bobby, Bobby Dahlbeck is one of them as well. Dahlbeck really just took the the entire team by storm to the point where he was, I think, third on the team in home runs. He had that streak of five straight games with a home run. Since then, though, his batting average has, has dropped. Um, he strikes out an absolute crap ton. Literally, one of every two at-bats is a strikeout. 25 strikeouts in 49. He has a higher than 50% chance of striking out every at-bat. That's awful. And for the season, he has 32 strikeouts in 61 at-bats. That's terrible. So in a four, if he, if, if we give Dahlbeck four at-bats, for example, you know twice he's going to be sent back to the bench without doing anything. So, yes, he's a rookie, too. We'll see what happens with him, too. I'm, I'm very curious to see. I'm very curious. Um, because you just need... You know, I mentioned this when we made some of the trades with the um, the Phillies and the Rockies. We just need one or two of those prospects to hit. That's it. I don't want. I'm not expecting all four to. But if we can get one or two to actually do damage, oh my god, oh my god, it's gonna be. It's oh, it's gonna look silly. We're gonna be laughing about this season. I mean, just imagine. Jeter Downs is eventually going to be an everyday player with the team, most likely at second base. So you could have Chavis, Dahlbeck, and Arroyo. I mean, just the insane depth we have. And I'm the most pessimistic about Dahlbeck of any of those guys because I just feel like once next season comes around and he starts to see, especially the divisional teams, the Rays, the Orioles, and the, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays even, I mean, they're taking steps forward. Once the tape comes out, I just think it could potentially be extremely brutal uh, with Dahlbeck. And I just think Arroyo could be that, I, I don't want to say out-of-nowhere guy because he was a first-round pick, actually with the Giants, and I think he, as recently as 2018, he was 81st in MLB's top 100. So, you know, there's 
good amateur pedigree there, um, you know, from Arroyo. And it's just, I know he's going to be an everyday player. I do not question that one bit. I, you know, as far as where the ceiling is, I mean, that's certainly a fair question. And the biggest question for me is, is the durability. But, uh, you know, I'm just... I'm more curious at this point to see what Arroyo does, you know, much more so than than Chavis or Dahlbeck. So, uh, well, you know, we got a week in it. Well, who knows? He, I mean, he could go on the DL because he is out with back spasms. But I, I do hope we get to see a little bit more of him. Uh, getting into the duds uh, section, Charlie... I think everybody in the audience can guess where you're going. So let's confirm it. Who's your dud? My dud is Matt Hall. No, uh, <laughs> my dud for this, uh, well, I, I, I think just based on the fact that I butchered his name, I want to make sure that Matt and everybody that's listening know I meant Matt effing Hall, like Bucky effing Dent. Uh, uh, so here's the, here's the thing. Um, I, I, I've, I've been really upset about two things this year one is matt hall because he's just awful uh the other is jd martinez and and there you go because i know i know everybody knew that i was going to go here uh you go over six with a four strikeout game you follow that up with a two for four game pair of singles and then you just mystify baseball fans across the world with a one-for-five solo home run performance in a meaningless game where the score has already been decided, and it sadly, you know, leaves people wondering, what the hell happened to you? How is it that you now bat 200? You you literally lowered your batting average. Again, you're, you're hitting 205, and you have six home runs this year. A guy who wasn't even playing Major League Baseball last year or earlier this season has more home runs than you do on the team. And he strikes out half as many times as he has at bats. How the hell can you be this bad unless you're trying? At this point now, J.D., it's comical. Except it's not funny anymore. It's just sad. Because if I have to stare at this for two more years... I'm going to start playing in traffic and I really don't want to play in traffic. Please, (laughs) please figure out what you need to do to hit the ball properly. And in games that actually mean something, because if I can actually remember all the games that you hit a home run in, that's a problem. That's really a problem. I should have to be like, uh, yeah, there was that one. There was one there. There's another 20 that I can't remember. No, I can literally remember all six of your home runs because you've been that bad. So get it together. Jason. He left 14 guys on base this weekend. 14. And nine of them were in one game. He left nine guys on base Friday night. He left an entire starting lineup on base in Friday's game with his four strikeouts and his no hits. Um, this is embarrassing now. Like, this is beyond... It, it, it's not even just like, okay, we're a little worried about J.D. Martinez. No, this is full-on, like, break the glass, smash the panic button. 
because this guy is going to come back next year. He's going to opt in. He's not taking the opt out because he's not dumb. He knows his value is has completely plummeted, and he knows he's not going to get paid. So he's going to take the money and he's going to come back. And at this point, you have to go. You have to wonder. Okay, did he just check out? Because I've asked this question before, and I actually legitimately there is a deep part of me that really hopes that he just checked out and that he's just kind of taken a year off. Not that that's excusable by any means, because it's not, okay? But it's a shortened season. You know, the team was basically out of it by the third week of this season. So my hope is that he just checked out and he's just saying to himself, I'm going to opt back in. I'm going to come back next year. The team's going to be better. They're going to revamp a little bit. And then I'm going to turn, I'm going to flip the switch and I'm going to come back. I find that highly unlikely because I just don't think that that's how it really works. I, I don't think many athletes can do that. But that's what you have to hope for because otherwise you're stuck with a full season of exactly what we've been seeing where he's just striking out. He's, you know, it looks like every fastball is just way too much for him to handle. Um, he, he just looks completely lost up there. It's scary. I mean, it, it's scary to think that we're stuck with this guy for another year or two or whatever, and he's just going to give you not even, like, not great production. He's going to give you zero production. Jackie Bradley Jr. is giving you more production than J.D. Martinez. That is not okay. So hopefully, you know, next year he comes back, he's a little more focused, and, and he recommits. But otherwise, yikes, this is bad. Uh, here, here's the thing as far as the Red Sox season was concerned. If he checked out through week three, then what the hell was he doing for three weeks? Because he was still terrible. The Red Sox mathematically were out of the playoffs before the, even, the season even started. You went from last year having Sale, Price, Erod, Porcello, Ivaldi to Ivaldi. Your season was done game one. After the first start of the season, people actually thought, oh, wow, Red Sox are going to do fine. We beat Baltimore by 11. And I said, wow, take off the effing beer goggles, sir. This team is not going to do anything. He hit 219 in the month of July. Take away the first game of the season. He went four for 27. That's 148. Eight. The following month, he had just as many three-hit games the whole month. He didn't hit his first home run until the Tampa Bay series um, when it was at home. And we're like, oh, wow, great. He's finally starting to hit it. And then he hit the Grand Slam, and we're like, okay, things are getting better. And then the whole rest of the month, this bum hits one more home run. If he already has taken the checkout approach, I do not want him here i want him gone because that president is unexcusable in this on on this team in this market you cannot afford to have someone who's getting paid that much to quote check out i don't want him in my clubhouse i don't want him on my team i want him gone i don't care if we eat a majority of his contract that's how much i dislike the sentiment of the fact that he, quote, checked out. David Ortiz never checked out once. He was there the whole time. 
he struggled and still bounced back and had a ridiculous second half of the year when he couldn't hit a home. Do you guys remember the year that David Ortiz literally looked like he was swinging at uh, wiffle balls, like nothing went out of the park, and then the second half of the year came out like gangbusters and then everything clicked? He never quit. He kept on trying. He was trying to do whatever he could. J.D. Martinez is a, a walking water fire. He's an oxymoron. This is someone that should be destroying baseballs left and right. I don't understand what has happened. He's literally hitting 100 average points lower than last year. How do you do that unless you try? You know, you cannot blame all of this on the fact that you can't do scouting on a damn iPad. Please don't use that as an excuse. And I don't want to hear, you know, and, and this isn't on Jason at all. If, if he uses that as an, excuse, as an excuse, it's not. There's something else going on. If he's injured and he's playing hurt, say something. Please, please let it be something. Because I will go off on J.D. Martinez as my dud, along with Matt Hall, every series, even if they don't even play. Because they've been disgusting for 43 games this season. Or 40, 44 now, I believe. It, it's just... Uh, I, I, you, you're, you're not surprised when you see him come to the plate anymore. 54 games this season. It's been an absolute nightmare. Uh, no other team has anything remotely close to this. Davis in, in Baltimore, we saw him fall apart years ago, and he's been consistently crap ever since they took him off Adderall. Did, you, you take away, you put Baby in the corner, you take away his iPad, now he doesn't hit? What? Well, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So, so Terry, please shut me up. Tim Hires, I saw a quote. Apparently, his lower body mechanics are out of whack, and that that's caused him to not be able to catch up with the fastball. But you know, be that as it may, I've got a lot of problems with JD myself. You know, why is he still hitting in the four hole at this point? I mean, I'm not saying drop him to the nine hole and completely demean him, but at least drop him to number seven and get someone else at the, you know, in the middle. Dahlbeck hit fourth today, which worked out okay. But I, so that's definitely an issue. Um, his OBP, like, that's the one really eye popping stat to me. Um, his on-base percentage this year is 289. Just to remind everybody how elite this guy was, 383 last year, which is way above average, and then he had a 402 OBB, OBP in the World Series year in, in 2018. So this is a guy who is normally elite all across the board at the plate, whether it's batting average, whether it's home runs, whether it's drawing walks, and just completely off of a cliff. You know, we we could destroy this guy all night. And here's another thing. Why was he playing left field a couple nights ago? <laughs> like, why did that need to happen? And there was a ball that was hit. It landed fair and then sliced into the foul territory and then hit that garage door in the sidewall and, and bounced awkwardly. But there was no hustle on his part to get that ball in. And I just, I don't know. <laughs> like he was utilized this series 
in the worst possible ways he could have been utilized because he's not a four-hole hitter. He's not an outfielder at this point in his career. He's lucky that the, the National League has the DH, but not really because he, he can't opt out. And so it's just, it's absolutely terrible. And he's so worried about his contract situation. Like, that's always a big thing. You know, he, he only got $110 million a few years ago when he was expecting to get north of 200 and he had to opt in this year because, excuse me, yeah, he did opt in this year because the DH wasn't added until, you know, at some point during the COVID crisis. So there was no market for him before the regular season was supposed to start before COVID. And, you know, if he just gives you 2019 production, not quite as good as the year before, he could just sign a bunch of one-year deals and and make just as much money as he hoped to on a five-year deal. You know, people, if he's if he's a 3100 guy or even a 4120 guy, if he's really killing it, he's at least a $20 million a year player. But you know, he's just completely in the toilet this year. So, I think- is um, is he? A, he's a Boris guy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's typical. Because I remember when when he signed here, um, the big thing was, well, you know, JD's going to primarily DH, but he still wants to play the field because he's actually a very good defensive outfielder. <laughs> you look at the metrics. Like I remember Boris blowing that smoke up our behinds, like when he first got here. So the whole play in the field thing, that just feels like it's Boris driven. It's Boris telling them like, look, you know, if you want to keep him happy, he likes to play the outfield. So you got to make sure you play him there at least once a week because he really is a good defender. And, you know, he doesn't get enough credit for that. It's like, it's just part of Boris's whole BS thing of like trying to add extra value to one of his clients when, even though there really isn't any to add there. It's it's such a it's such a load of crap. It's such a Boris move. Absolutely, Jason. Who you got? Who's your dud? So I'm going to throw a dash of cold water on everybody's uh, ice horse parade because I'm going with <laughs> Michael Shavius as my dud. Um, I know he had two home runs today. Very nice. Congratulations. Good for him. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very nice to see. Nice to see that he remembered how to hit them. Um, he's only got five on the year for someone who's supposed to have this unreal power. Um, he's only got five home runs, but the other two games in the series, he went 0 for six. He struck out three times and he left seven guys on base. And those are two games that you lost, particularly the Friday night game where you only lost by one run and you could have used some offense then. And he just didn't give you any. So look, I, I want to like Michael Chavis. I want to be all aboard the ice horse train, you know, and sending out ice horse gifts every time he he does something. But the more I look at this guy, the more I just think he's kind of our version of Gary Sanchez. Like, oh, boo. He kind of is. He's hitting, what, 212 right now? So he hits 212. He's got over 50 strikeouts in just about 50 games this year he doesn't walk um and occasionally he'll run into a meatball 
because that's what Garcia was throwing. Garcia was throwing garbage at him, and he just, you know, and he hit it over the fence. Great. Um, but it, it's like he's he's not even Gary Sanchez because Sanchez has 10 home runs. So he runs into more somehow than Chavis does. Before today's game, the last time Chavis hit a home run was September 12th, and it was a solo home run in a game that you lost. So again, you know, not a ton of value there. And then before that game, the last time he had hit a home run was August 5th. So this guy is way too streaky. He just disappears for way too many stretches at a time. And look, the home runs, they look awesome, right? He's got the the nice follow through, you know, he drops the bat. It's, you know, this big majestic home run. Wee! Yeah, fun to watch. Um, It's just not good enough. He strikes out way too many times. I don't, he's definitely not a plus defender. He might be average at best, but he's not really great defensively. And I don't know. The power's good, but when he runs into good pitching, he just gets overmatched. So I'm I'm really down on Chavis. I wanted him to take a big step forward this year and to prove that he could be one of these guys that you could build around and maybe even package as you know for a starting pitcher or something like that but i think he hurt his value this year cuz i think he showed everyone what he is he's a guy who you know in the minors wasn't doing anything then he had that one season where he hit for a ton of power then he got popped for peds and then he came back he came up to the major league level and still hit for power which was good but now it's like this season the power's not even consistent. It's just sort of, it's there, but it's not, it's not a huge part of his game. So I don't really know what to make of Michael Chavis right now, but I don't think that he's a valuable everyday player that you can build around. I, so I'm, I'm going to be real short and sweet. It, it has been disappointing to see what he's done uh, this year. Uh, you don't like to see the fact that you go back a month and a half before you you see another home run and then you see the, the two-homer game. Um, last year, when you look at what he was able to do, I think a lot of it had to deal with the fact that no one had ever seen him before, no one knew what to expect, and they weren't sure what he could do and he couldn't do. When teams locked on to the fact that he wasn't able to hit a specific type of pitch, everything changed. Because he went from cracking everything over the fence to striking out a whole lot. Um, because when, when he first came to the league, he was just spectacular. It was one out of three at-bats that he'd strike out. Now it's closer to like one out of two. And that's not going to cut it when you have multiple three strikeout games. There are some players in Major League Baseball that you can count on one hand how many times they struck out more than twice in their career. So, um, Michael Chavis hits a home run every single time I go to Fenway Park. Michael Chavis hit a home run on my birthday, and I was really pumped about that. Still got the video to prove it. Uh, I feel that if I'm able to go to a couple more Red Sox games in the future, Michael Chavis is going to hit a couple more home runs. I, I have uh, that, that parallel. Uh, jokes aside, though, um, Chavis is one of those players that really does need to turn it around. If Chavis doesn't turn it around, his value is going to continue being what Andrew Benintendi's value is. You know, yes, he had a great year, but was he able to follow through and do it again? Nope. And uh, it doesn't make me feel too good with the fact that um, he's almost struck out half as many times 
um, in the, you know, as he did all of last year, he doesn't get any walks, and he's done it in almost mm, just shot, just more than a third of the games this season. So he he needs he needs to do better. He needs to do better. But that's the thing is, I'm not even I'm not even as as concerned about this this individual on his own. We have so many glaring issues on this team. It is like a shuttle in the sky and like 15 warning lights are going off on five different panels. It's it's a disaster. And we need to figure out what we can do to resolve all of these situations. And it's not going to take a week or two weeks. It's not going to take a month or two months. They're really going to have to get down and grind to figure out what the hell is happening. Because Chavis is another one that we just we're not seeing what we're supposed to see yeah i mean he'd be on pace for about 150 strikeouts this year his obp is is lower than even martinez is you know at 254 so his only saving grace really i mean if he never does get better might be his defensive versatility i mean he seamlessly went into left field uh, made a pretty good play today. Um, you know, overnight started playing second base last year out of necessity because we literally had Brock Holt, Eduardo Nunez, and I, that was right around the time Pedroia attempted a comeback. All of them were on the the DL at the same time. So uh, he's not playing like a major leaguer a lot of the time and you know I'm, I'm a little bummed because i like the guy you know he's a likable guy but it's it's tough you know his his ceiling is still a mystery to me and i'd i'd like to see him turn it around but it's just it, it's just hard to imagine it and and i did mention a handful of shows ago he could end up being a Johnny Gomes type guy, you know, just kind of a, a bench guy or, or maybe a little more than that, you know, maybe 90 to 100 games a year type type of a player. They just kind of float him around, give certain guys days off and and everything. But like I said, you know, Christian Arroyo is here and could force his way onto the roster. Dahlbeck, if he can snap the strikeouts, could force his way onto the roster. Um. The, our stud prospect there, Tristan Casas, uh, going to be another guy who's going to force his way in. We can't keep everybody. So Chavis better get it together or he's going to be playing for another team in a year or two. Yeah, it's it's got to turn around quick because, again, you know, him, Dahlbeck, like, those two guys are very similar and eventually there's not going to be room for everybody. So this was his chance too. I mean, he was getting regular everyday playing time heading into this year. Um, and he got even more after Mitch Moreland got traded. So he had a good opportunity to really prove himself and it's just, he hasn't been able to do it, which has been a shame. Excellent point. Yeah. he's So let me ask you, let me ask you guys both this because Chavis and Dahlbeck are the same age. I mean, they're less than two months apart. Who do you keep? Do you keep the guy that has spent some time playing Major League Baseball as of, you know, last year? 
who actually was able to almost get 20 home runs, hit 250, um, struck out a heck of a ton? Or do you keep the guy who has done a lot with not that large a sample size and just kind of play the odds and see what happens, knowing, excuse me, full well that he strikes out half the time? Who would you keep and who would you dump? They both play third base. Chavis can play first and third. Dahlbeck, um, theoretically, could play uh, both as well. I honestly think that you probably keep Dahlbeck and see what happens in year two because he's a little bit taller. Honestly. Yeah, I would I would keep Dahlbeck just because he had uh, better minor league numbers than Chavis really ever did. Um, I mean, Chavis struggled big time in the minors before he uh, <laughs> discovered his power. Um, Dahlbeck <laughs> always had it. Like, Dahlbeck's power was always there. And, you know, he he may have had some up and downs, but he always was sort of a promising prospect from the beginning. Chavis was sort of a, a late bloomer, if you will, and had like one or two good years and then got called up. So I would stick with Dahlbeck just because I think the way that he's progressed is a little more natural. And I think that he's got more natural talent. It's It's an interesting, you know question going forward what were you gonna say charlie no no i think that was it like i've just been looking at both of their numbers and i feel like just based on you know god i think you know for what jason said and when i when i think of prospects and when i think of um anybody who we may not know whether it be how to pronounce their name or a player that's got minor league stats i'm gonna take jason's word for it uh, just because I know that he's done impeccable work as far as like the the prospects are concerned, and if if Dahlbeck's got the better numbers, then I feel like that's that's it. Chavis needs to either shape up or ship out, and that's just unfortunately the case. And we've got a guy, you know, in the front office, Hein Bloom, who I don't think he's going to be emotionally attached to anybody, so. It wouldn't shock me if either guy gets shipped, you know, before opening day. I mean, you just you just never know, especially when when he's saying he's going to be aggressive and looking for pitching. I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean Trevor Bauer via a free agency signing, or does it mean someone via a trade who's going to be more, you know, cost effective? So we'll see. I mean, that's a huge topic for for another show, but. Uh, my dud for the series is the raging nut job that climbed the backside of the green monster, started shouting things from the top of it, got himself into the center field camera well, which is up near you know the green monster, and uh, delayed the game and. You can, there's clips of him, you know, on social media, and you can kind of hear him mentioning, you know, 9 11 and the, the marathon bombings. And he told Michael Chavis, apparently, he thinks he's a dud because Chavis wears number 23 and said that Michael Chavis is no Michael Jordan. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> he yeah. can't prove that, though. He can't prove that. <laughs> So just uh, just a crazy situation, you know. I'm I'm sure there might be 
other nuisances with drunk fans uh, during regular season games, but he caught everybody's attention because the stadium is empty. I, I heard the Yankees broadcast. I saw clips of them wondering who this guy is and um, just kind of crazy. Um, I guess he was escorted out by the cops. He was actually taken into custody, but instead of arresting him, he was taken to a uh, nearby hospital for a psyche eval. But one of the more unique um, game stoppages in, in quite some time. You know, we have had drone issues, actually, but but uh, this guy was uh, a little cray-cray. Yeah, it, it produced my favorite tweet from the weekend, which was uh, someone retweeted the video and said, wow, I didn't realize that they were uh, in the middle of filming The Town too. Uh, during the Red Sox Yankees game. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, that was uh that was something special because you could hear him yelling at the tail end where he just goes, "Woo!" like like on the cameras from behind home plate and uh that was uh you know something to marvel at, you know. Um I was not watching the tail end of that game because I at that point said, "You know what?" I think the Red Sox have this one. We're going to be able to say that we won one out of three. Uh, I saw the clip at the end and was absolutely dumbfounded. That is going to be uh, one of the highlight lowlights of the 2020 Red Sox season this year. Yeah. It's also, it was also a big missed opportunity for Nesson's, uh, you know, famed investigative reporter, Garen Austin. I mean, what else does she have to do during the game other than just read Twitter and regurgitate what she sees on there? Like, be a reporter. Go find out who it is. Like, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah, at least get an interview. I mean, he, the, right. guy, the guy's way more entertaining than Dave O'Brien. I mean, we got to at least give him that. But, yeah. Here's a hot take for you. I'm completely unrelated to this. I'm not a big Garen Austin guy. I mean, yeah, she's attractive. She's like a former Miss Nebraska or something like that, but she's not funny. You know, I just, I don't know. No, I, she drives me nuts. And I, I think partially it's not her fault because I think what happens is Nesson tells her, okay, you've got 30 seconds to give a full report on these three players. And so she has to talk like a million miles an hour, which is, stressful to listen to and but everything she says i'm just like yeah i know pete abraham tweeted that like five minutes ago like it, it's not for the, <laughs> for the fan like me that's like sitting at home and scrolling uh, twitter anyway it's like yeah no you're not telling me anything new like you don't you're not actually giving me helpful information you're just regurgitating my twitter feed like okay I, I, who cares yeah she's just really dry to me you know and I just I don't I was way more entertained by you know Heidi Watney and and uh, Jenny Dell and everything, but they had their issues with players, uh, you know, obviously. Um, but yeah, anyway, I didn't think I'd go into a Garen Austin uh, mini rant, but yeah. So um, in, in all seriousness, though, hopefully that guy does get uh, the attention he deserves or deserves attention he requires as far as whatever his needs are medically and 
Um, you know, fortunately he was harmless and didn't have any, uh, you know, dangerous intentions towards players, you know, while he was, you know, doing the type of, uh, charade, but yeah. So some, uh, some dishonorable mentions this series, um, uh, Raphael Devers two for 14. I mean, I guess he was due for a bad series. He's been phenomenal lately, but definitely, um, you know, not too hot against a, you know, a, a big division rival. Bogarts was three for nine, which I guess is fine, but two errors in the same game. He uh, botched what really looked to be a routine grounder. It wasn't really a bad hop. It just popped out of his glove, and he he botched what could have been a, a double play. And at least one run ended up scoring uh, in the inning after that. And then uh, he had a wild throw later on to to first base. So um, you know, so just not not good to see there defensively, especially for a guy who's had a negative WAR the last two two years in a row. Uh, Kevin Ploiecki, one for 10. I mean, he's been an oppo machine this year by shooting balls, you know, into right field. So um, not great. Zue Lin, you know, I really want him to be the next Brock Holt, but hitting 159 uh, after the series going 0 for 5. And... Um, Chris Meza started uh, Saturday's game, four innings, five hits, two earned runs, three walks. Not a good uh, series for him. So uh, any thoughts on any of those guys? Yeah, Lynn, uh, Lynn doesn't look like he can really hit at the major league level, um, which is unfortunate because I think he has mostly everything else he would want out of a bench utility guy. <laughs> Got a pretty steady glove. He's athletic. He can run, but uh, he's useless at the plate. He can't do anything there. So yeah, I, I was bummed out by that too. I'm 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 with you there. I think that uh, the two way Lin when he first came over, he was exciting. He was fun. Um, but I mean, we've we've seen him now for four years. He he came up in 2017, and his numbers have continued to just go down. Um, his batting average has gone from 268 to uh, a, a floppy 171. And I say floppy because I don't know what else you can say other than that. It's just he's he's just not good enough. And, and I think part of it is his size. He's not a big guy. You know, the argument you could be ma- you could make the argument for um, yeah, Dustin Pedroia. But I just. I, I don't see it with him. He just doesn't look like he can get it done. Um, it's fun because outside of, of Tsui Lin, I don't know how many other Taiwanese players we have playing Major League Baseball um, currently right now. Um, so I, I, I know for Taiwan, they're happy for him, but I just, I don't know. I, it's un, It's unfortunate what Jason said. You know, we see a bunch of these these kids come up and they they start up like gangbusters, and then after a little bit of time, it's just they can't do it. Um, so I'm, I'm looking right now. There's there's two players right now uh, representing Taiwan, and the other one plays for uh, the Cleveland Indians. And he, like Tsui Lin, is hitting under 200, 
has just two hits on the year. I mean, it's, you know, it sucks. But he's another one that we just, we can't count on. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he'll probably, I don't know if he's out of options or not, actually, but he could very well be back in Pawtucket uh, next year. Um, so, all right. Um, just getting into the um, Orioles matchup. They've kind of cooled off and not really uh, in playoff contention anymore. That Yankee series where they, I can't remember if they got swept or just lost three out of four, but that, that was basically the you know, the turning point in their season. But they did, you know, kind of overperform. They'll they'll have, a you know, one more series against us coming up here. Uh, Keegan Aiken versus uh, Nick Pavetta on Tuesday night. So Monday's an off day. Game one's Tuesday. I'm a little curious to see what Pavetta does. Uh, and I don't know if Dave Bush has gotten a, a chance to really do much with him because he was at the alternative site. But... Um, I would be really encouraged if Pavetta goes out there and gives you a quality start. Yeah, I would love that. Um, you know, it, anything you can get out of these trades, you know, even if you just get a little bit out of Nick Pavetta, um, it would be great. You know, maybe that's a guy that you look at for, for next year too and see, you know, maybe this is the beginning of him kind of turning it around. Charlie, thoughts on that matchup? Oh, Pavetta. Oh, Pavetta. I just, oh, God. Um, here's the thing about Pavetta, too, is he, we we still don't know. Uh, it, he can't possibly do worse than him. And even if we get, like, a Rick Porcello response, we're still not paying for Rick Porcello uh, to be doing that bad. So it's not like it's going to hurt that much. Um, I have no expectation. Um, and maybe the change of scenery could be good for him. Um, this is crazy that I'm going to say this, but it looks like the Red Sox theoretically could finish with the record that I thought they were going to finish with to start the season. And everyone thought I was a nut job for saying it, but 23 wins on the year is very much a possibility for this team. And Pavetta could help or hurt them get there. Yeah, and another thing with him, they kept him at the alternative site long enough to get a fourth year of control out of him, so he'll be controllable um, either until or through his age 32 season. And a funny thing is, I listened to a Phillies podcast. Um, I say that, and now I can't remember the name. It's uh, it's on the Phillies Good Fight Network. But uh, John Stolness is the the host of that, and I listened to it on uh, Saturday. It might have been a couple days old, and they were he was just raging against how bad Brandon Workman is, and doesn't want to see him again for the rest of the year. And I was just kind of laughing because we traded those two guys at just the right time, and I I DM'd him and told him I said. We've got Nick Pavetta starting soon, and I said if he ends up, you know, pitching very well for Boston, that's a good sign that you guys' pitching uh, pitching program, whether it's coaching or analytical, is just complete trash. Because anybody not named Aaron Ola just doesn't pitch well on that team, 
Arietta had okay numbers. You know, he was a upper threes ERA guy, but just that's a team that I think has a lot of issues with with their pitching program. And it wouldn't shock me at all to see him start to pitch a little bit better with the Red Sox. And and Heim Bloom basically said they, they think this guy could be borderline elite one day. And maybe that's a little too optimistic, but I can certainly see him giving you Martin Perez type numbers this year at some point. So just another reason I'm I'm a little bit more curious about him. But, yeah, so game two, uh, Dean Creamer versus Nathan Avoldi. Avoldi's coming off a couple of good starts. One of them was a shorter one because, you know, he'd been on the the DL for a couple weeks. So um, you you could very well see five, six, seven innings out of him if, if he's, you know, settling into a groove but i'd love to see this will be his last start of the year i think uh actually no they could process he might start the last game of the year um if i'm looking at it right but but if you're in my camp and you want to hope that there's at least a, a pipe dream of him getting uh traded this year then a couple of a couple of good starts would would go a long way agreed um, if that's the uh, the mindset of the team and the direction that the team is going to be going in, then you need to maximize value now. And uh, the only way to get that is by having him do exactly what you just said. Two fantastic starts, and we can get there. Yeah, I would love for him to uh, have two really good starts, get that ERA under four to finish the year, and uh, head into the offseason for possibly some trade talks. Yeah, the only thing, as I said on the last show, if we're aggressively looking for pitching, you know, teams are going to be like, well, why the hell are you trading a Valdi if you're, mm. you know, it just makes it a an awkward sell, but but somebody might want him. I don't know. Uh, game three of the series on Thursday, which is actually a, a night game. Uh, yeah, just so you're aware, Jason. Um could be a later start, but Martin Perez yep. versus Alex Cobb. Cobb hasn't looked so good. Uh, well, in his last outing, he he wasn't too bad. He he uh, six innings, gave up two runs to Tampa, but his two starts before that, he uh, gave up seven hits, five earned runs on seven hits against the Yankees, and then. Um, in four innings, and then start before that against Toronto. Also four innings, gave up uh, uh, four and runs on eight hits. So a guy that I was kind of shocked did not get traded on August 31st, given how spectacular he was throughout the month of August, has really kind of nosedived. So be interesting to see um, what the Red Sox lineup can do with him. I, I think he stifled us. And at least one uh, previous game earlier this year, but but we know our guy Perez is is pitching pretty good going into that. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And I know that uh, Jason is super high on him, so uh, we'll see what happens. I know what uh, one thing that kind of made it its its ways around, and um, it was shared with me actually by more than one person. Uh, but one of them was one of our, our super fans 
um, that listens to our podcast was uh, this is something that I don't think we've hit on. And if we have, maybe you guys talked about it on the other show. Did you guys see the Gavin Lux video of him coming out of the uh, um, the dugout? But it, it wasn't necessarily, or not the dugout, but he came out of the uh, tunnel and he came out telling Co- Cody Bellinger that the pitch was way outside. Yeah. Did anybody see that video? Yeah, so the Dodgers might be looking at video. And, of course, Manfred's not going to touch that one. So, but, yeah. That sucks. Oh, well. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. th- those are the uh, matchups for the Orioles series. Um, you know, if anybody's the the thing that I'm worried about is, you know, when are we going to see the Red Sox play again? Is it going to be the normal schedule, or are we looking at nine to ten more months of you know no baseball? So this is going to be our last fix so to speak before the the series finale in Atlanta it's it's going to be interesting that's for darn sure it's going to be very very interesting to see what happens yeah i'm i'm hoping for a regular on time season but these days you just never know yeah yeah november 3rd or whatever day it is that could be a decider of whether we're on time or we're we're late, if it is going to be uh, you know delayed, hopefully it's it's no later than May or June at this point. But um, it just depends on whether fans can be in the stands. Because if fans can't be in the stands, then it's not financially plausible, you know, for the season to start on time. But we'll yeah, see. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if there's no fans in the stadiums, then you got you know. People who are just going to continue striking out, not hitting home runs because they've checked out. <laughs> Another bad JD here, yeah, yeah. Well, Goodness all right. Gracious. I keep forgetting to mention the last couple of shows. I really meant to say almost right after the intro that we are going to be doing uh, in-depth MLB playoff coverage. Uh, Charlie and I will be on every show. Uh, Jason will be doing National League uh, series, uh, you know, recaps and and previews with us and and reaction, you know, throughout the playoffs. And then I think Aaron Graves is still going to do the American League side with us. So so we will, as a podcast, be pretty busy throughout the month of October for, you know, the MLB wide crowd that, that listens. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But... All right, guys, good show, and uh, I'll uh, see you each one more time uh, before the end of the year, end of the regular season, I mean. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a plan. All righty. Have a good night. All right. All right, have a good night, guys. See you guys. Episode 219 in the books. Finally got that win against the Yankees, so we can't listen to them brag for the rest of their lives how they were undefeated against us in 2020. So thank goodness for that. But we'll be back with you on, let's see, by your Friday morning commute to talk about what went down in this um, Orioles series. Hopefully I'm raving about Nick Pavetta because I really hope that was a great under the radar trade, but we'll see what happens when we get there. Take care.